Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 22, Know Your Heart's Rhythm. This is the second part of an interview with Dr. Ann Taylor. She explains how high-functioning anxiety and chronic stress is common, but it doesn't have to be the norm, and provides seven ways to calm your nervous system and balance your heart's rhythm. The heart math monitor, it's simply a clip that you put on your ear that measures your heart rate and creates a graph, and it creates an audible tone or a visual tone. So you know when you're getting in a state of high coherence. About 150 bucks for the sensor. And you could do Bluetooth, plugs right into the iPhone, your iPad. Anne received her PhD in Mythological Studies with an emphasis in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. And her Bachelor of Science degree is in Medical Technology. She's written a book called Seven Ancient Rituals to Heal Modern High-Functioning Anxiety. Listen as Ann and I dive into how to restore your nervous system by calming your heart's rhythm. Ann, you've mentioned heart math coherence a couple of times. Can you go into a little more depth as to what that means? Yes, yeah, certainly. Heart rhythm coherence can be thought of being in the flow zone, similar to like an athlete. When they feel like they're in a flow, things become effortless motion and There's actually a biomarker where you can determine whether your own heart is in a state of high heart rhythm coherence or lower heart rhythm coherence. And of course, there's a broad continuum. Let's just talk about heart rate itself for a few moments. So every time your heart beats, it generates an electrical impulse. You go to the doctor's office and one of the first things they do is take your pulse. Let's say they say your heart rate is 60 beats per minute. Well, that's an average over one minute. And if your heart was actually beating once a second, which is something you might logically think, that would actually be extremely low coherence. There's no variation in the heartbeat. So you can think of it like this. The heart is not a pendulum. That's a term that's been used in several scientific articles, including one from HeartMath. So the metronome would be that one beat every second. But the reality is when you inhale, your heart should gradually increase the heart rate. When you exhale, the heart rate should go down gradually. So there's this increase and decrease and increase and decrease. When you get your pulse checked at the doctor's office, that's recording the average heartbeat within that minute. Is that right? Yes, it's an average over the minute. Yes. Heart rate variability, it was first used back in the 60s. If a pregnant woman was in labor and the the doctor thought that the baby may be in distress and they would strap this contraption on her belly, that's what they were measuring is heart rate variability of the fetus to determine whether it was in stress or not, whether it was in coherence or not. And then over the years, heart rate variability has become um, more and more used biomarker 
although you may find that many, even cardiologists, don't use it as much as they could. It's, it's coming. It's something that's on the forefront, even though it's been in use for, you know, 60 years. So the heart is not a pendulum. I've not ever even heard that the heart rate was a pendulum. What does that even mean? I've not heard that term. We don't want the heart rate to be a pendulum. Okay. A pendulum is regular, one beat a second. And when you look at it on a graph, it should look like a serpentine, a snake, or a sine wave in medical terms. It goes up and it undulates. It's a beautiful rhythmic state and it's dynamic. When your heart is in coherence, you generate a beautiful sine wave. And when it comes out of coherence, it's a jagged, chaotic waveform. That makes sense. We've got 12 cranial nerves, and the 10th one is the vagus nerve, which directly modulates the heart rate. The vagus nerve starts in the base of your brain. The Latin term vagus means to wander. So it wanders throughout the body. When you are stressed, the vagus nerve is suppressed. It's not doing its job for the heart. And so your heart rate starts racing. The vagus nerve, though, controls the heart rate. That is the key point. The seven rituals, these are seven ways to actually regulate your vagus nerve. The ancients called the vagus nerve the central tuning string of the body. If you think of an orchestra, the vagus nerve is like our central tuning string. We've got, according to the yogis, 72,000 different nerve endings. That's a lot. Yeah, the vagus nerve really sets the tone. When your central tuning string is in order and it's in good health, the rest of the body will fall into line. Your book, Seven Ancient Rituals to Heal Modern High-Functioning Anxiety, is informed by Dr. Stephen Porges. Can you please tell me about his work? Yes, uh, Dr. Stephen Porges, he was one of the, the fathers of heart rate variability back in the 60s. And through the years, he's developed what's called the polyvagal theory. Your body works on a hierarchy, and it's based on human evolution. The first part of the vagus nerve, which basically goes from the back of the brainstem to just around the diaphragm, that's called the ventral vagus nerve, according to Porges' theory. And it's myelinated, which means the nerve is encased in fat. And it's a more highly evolved portion of the nervous system. And the first phase that Porges talks about is social engagement. If you're feeling anxious, your first tendency may be to call your best friend or to call your a parent or somebody that you really trust and get that feedback, that positive acknowledgement, everything's okay. That's what we want to hear. And you know what I think about in my own experience is it's that exchange of love which I think goes back to the heart, that I feel like I'm able to not only self-regulate better, but I'm doing a service to that other loved one. That is so beautiful, Erica, because love is one of the highest states of coherence. Mm -hmm. If you were to measure yourself in a state of love, you'd find yourself in very high coherence. That's called co-regulation. You're giving love, you're receiving love, that's the goal here, what we want to strive for. Yeah. 
But let's say um, the person you call is not available or is in a really bad mood and you can't get any social interaction that's going to help. The second stage of the evolution would be the sympathetic nervous system. It's the fight or flight response. So you're going to be in very low heart coherence because the body is trying to save your life. Let's get out of here. To recap, Dr. Porges's polyvagal theory says that we have three major behavioral strategies when we're stressed. The first stage is social engagement. When that doesn't help, we move on to the second stage, which is fight or flight. The third response, the person no longer fights the situation and they give up, which is the most basic primitive part of our nervous system, feigning death. It's the freeze response. The third level in this evolutionary chain is the play dead. And that's the vagus nerve from the diaphragm down to the lower parts of the torso. And it's not myelinated. It does not have the fat covering. That can be a more dangerous state. For the rest of this interview, Anne will focus on the second stage, the fight or flight response. Her book addresses this stage with seven ways to heal and get back to optimal health coherence. The state of anxiety that is the topic at hand, the body wants to do something. If high-functioning anxiety goes on for long enough, you exhaust yourself. It's a very exhausting experience. I've had clients say to me, I come home from work or it's the weekend and I stay in bed all weekend. I can't really even move. By that point, you're in that third stage. You're freezing. You just can't really respond anymore. I see. I've heard loved ones who have experienced just that where they can't get out of bed or do absolutely nothing, literally nothing all weekend until Monday morning. But there's some good news here. Now, we're talking about high-functioning anxiety and not clinical conditions. We can actually begin to manipulate our bodies and manipulate our vagus nerve so that then it affects our mind. It's a two-way street. And that's why, personally, I believe that as, as helpful as talk therapy can be for many people, but without getting the body involved into the healing process, I believe that it's an uphill battle. It is. I agree with that totally and completely. You cannot begin to solve an issue from a superficial place. And what I mean by that is you can't just focus on behavior modification or having positive thoughts. To me, that's like the second or third layer. The first and essential part is getting your nervous system in balance. And then you can start working on what's triggering that unwanted behavior or what's triggering that negative thought to be more contemplative or more conscious about it. When you are able to get the breath, I would say that that's primary, in some sort of regulated, relaxed state, then we are able to turn on the prefrontal cortex and then be able to problem solve. And that's the difference in how I work with clients. Half of the session is meditation. And oftentimes clients come to me, they've never had therapy before, they're brand new to it. And when I ask them to pause and notice their breathing as they're talking about their problem, they kind of get a little irritated with me. Well, what difference does that make? And I said, well, it makes all the difference. 
So let's get your breathing down. Then we can continue to talk about the issue. And oftentimes the issue isn't as important at that point because they already feel better. So the power of the breath is phenomenal. I agree. And it's one of the top rituals in my book. I do a daily practice of heart coherence and I use the breath as a Kundalini yoga teacher. To explain, Kundalini yoga is an ancient practice that transforms and expands consciousness. It works on the energy channels of the body. I teach students that the issues are held in the tissues. It's just an easy way to remember it is that you have these energy blocks within your body and that sometimes during an exercise, a student may actually experience uh, a shaking and that's the nervous system adjusting itself by certain positions or postures. The body is extremely important in the healing process. The HeartMath Institute has a sensor and app called Interbalance Bluetooth for iPhone and Android. It teaches you how to shift from stress to balance using biofeedback based on your heart rhythm. Biofeedback is a technique that involves visual and auditory feedback to help you control your heart rate. How do you use the HeartMath biofeedback device? I do a daily practice that begins with meditation. Most days I will put the heart math monitor on me and it's simply a clip that you put on your ear that measures your heart rate and creates a graph and it creates an audible tone or a visual. So you know when you're getting in a state of high coherence, when that nice sine wave, that serpentine rhythm is forming it's relatively inexpensive. It's about 150 bucks for the sensor. And you could do Bluetooth, plugs right into the iPhone, your iPad. To get back to your book, you describe seven rituals to heal high functioning anxiety. The first ritual is to open a sacred space. The second is vocalization or mantra. The third is breath work. The fourth is yoga postures. The fifth is meditation or prayer. The sixth is listening to a gong, which is a musical instrument. And lastly, the seventh is social engagement and compassion. And what inspired you to write this book? I really was inspired going back to Dr. Stephen Porges, who published an article on the physiology of rituals. He had general things such as chanting or vocalizations as affecting the laryngeal portion, the pharyngeal branches off of the vagus nerve. And that's in the throat, right? That's in the throat, yes. I thought, okay, let me investigate. I'm going to lay out seven rituals. I'm going to hook myself up and see from a physiological standpoint how the rituals are getting myself into coherence. One of uh, Stephen Porges's main points, it's common sense, is that you need to feel a sense of safety before your nervous system can relax, before you get into a state of coherence. The first ritual is to create what I call a sacred space or a sensitive space. Ritual practices always begin by creating a sacred space. It's like a bubble of safety that you create for yourself. 
So it's something you're doing imaginatively and you could be doing it physically. I like to sit in the same spot every day when I'm home and meditate. So that's opening up the sacred space. It gives you a feeling of safety, security. The sacred space is the first of the seven rituals. Yes. And the second one is mantra or vocalization that I just mentioned. It's the long tones, particularly with a long exhale, the chant of Om or something similar, you know, the Amen, the long tones. Most traditions have these. It's really to your advantage to give it a try. It may sound a little bit strange at first, and that directly stimulates the vagus nerve. So the third of the sacred rituals is breath work, which is also called pranayama and yoga. Tell me more about that. The breath work is something that I personally use to rapidly bring myself into a state of coherence. And it's immediately calming to the nervous system. The heart math practice uses breath. You're slowing your breath down. The most basic long, deep breathing. And you want to make sure your spine is straight. But you want to really allow the belly to open up as you inhale. This directly impacts the vagus nerve, particularly on the exhalation. For example, for me, ocean breath. That gets me into coherence just about every time. So the way that I teach students how to do the ocean breath is to imagine that they have a mirror in front of them and they're going to go and like fog up that mirror and then close their lips. And that's the ocean breath. And it feels amazing. And ocean breath is the example I use in the book. And I show a heart recording. We're all taken right on my personal iPhone and just took a screenshot. The fourth ritual would be uh, yogic postures or asanas. And there are specific postures that stimulate the vagus nerve. In the kundalini yoga tradition, for example, there's a whole set of exercises specifically to stimulate the vagus nerve. And some of them would include um, a shoulder stand or plow. Postures are optional, in my opinion. Let's go to the, the fifth of the seven rituals. What is the fifth one? So ritual five is meditation. And it's really allowing the mind to enter a quiet state. The mind is going to wander during meditation. And so the, the goal is simply to notice your mind's drifted off and come back to the breath. So every time you notice and come back, you're really exercising the meditation muscle. Ideally, 11 minutes a day is wonderful. Every client that I work with, I give them an MP3 that I've recorded with a 12-minute meditation. And ideally, my clients would listen to that every day. Because that is retraining their nervous system. Because I'm only with them for an hour a week. And getting into that kind of ritual and that daily habit is where I want them to get to because it has such a great impact. Right. It's a provable fact. When you hook up the heart rate um, monitor, you know, it's, it just plugs into my iPhone. It's far better than just doing a meditation or yoga class once a week. 
What is the sixth of the seven rituals? So ritual six, in Kundalini Yoga, we use the gong. It's sound of vibration, and it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system or the vagus nerve very effectively. And it slows down your brain waves, and it slows down the mental process. I have a Tibetan singing bowl. Would that work? We're also listening to a CD of Tibetan bowls being played or gongs being played. Yeah, or go on Spotify. Coming from a heavy science background, it was always the scientific method. You can't get a control group. I mean, it's it's harder. So what works for you through direct experience is very powerful. This is what I'm talking about, getting your power back. You would sit and put on your little heart math clip, try different uh, sounds, try the Tibetan bowls, try the gong and see what results you have. So the rituals can build on each other. You might do a couple of minutes of breathing exercise before you go into your sound bath. If you just put on the sound, it may take a little bit of time for your body to relax into it. So always just set up a sacred space, do a little bit of breathing. Let's go to the seventh of the the healing rituals. Number seven on the healing rituals would be social engagement and compassion. A lot of us love to go to our yoga classes live because we get to be together in community, or maybe you go to a church or a classroom, or you go to family gatherings. It's that social connection that really helps to stimulate the vagus nerve. By generating a higher level of heart coherence, when you get your rhythm in a nice flow, you're not just only really helping yourself. These waveforms actually go out and affect other people. You'll often see that if two people are doing heart math together, they'll start syncing up. And thank you so much. I was excited when you contacted me. I'm excited to read your entire book. For me, the biggest shift has been with knowing that there is science to back it up and that there is a way to actually look at my heart coherence while I'm doing these practices, which I've not ever done before. This is a new tool for me, and I'm excited to start practicing it. And I'm just happy that you're here to share all this information with our audience. I want to thank you, Erica, and your listeners for allowing me to share this information because I'm really passionate about it. And coming from a Western mind, I mean, as far as steeped in science, I needed the proof. And so it's really fun for me to share that with everybody. And thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I want to take a moment to talk about Ann Taylor's book, Seven Ancient Rituals to Heal Modern High-Functioning Anxiety. If you suffer from anxiety and are looking for natural means of healing, this book is for you. Anyone can benefit from the information gleaned from the ancient wisdom traditions. In the book, Anne breaks down ways to calm your nervous system and balance your heart's rhythm. There's a significance to this balance, especially when circumstances feel beyond your control. Go to yourtruthreveal.com store and receive this book for free. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Dr. Ann Taylor. 
She talks about being in the flow state when you are in heart rhythm coherence. And in positive psychology, a flow state is being in the zone. It's the mental state in which you are fully immersed in an activity like writing, running, or yoga. You feel energized, fully involved, and enjoy the process. Anne says there's a biomarker that determines when you're in a flow state. A biomarker is a measurable indicator of your physiological state. And in particular, she refers to your heart's rhythm. The stress management monitor is called inner balance. I've tried it out and find it remarkably easy to use. This HeartMath app tells me immediately if my heart rhythm is in coherence or not. Then I can adjust my breathing accordingly. It's that simple. I have found that deep breathing is the most direct and effective way to relax and move into heart coherence. The heart sends more information through the nervous system to the brain than the other way around. This has actually been known since the late 1800s. It's basic physiology. This is important because the quality of the signals sent from the heart to the brain has profound effects on your brain function, mental clarity, and emotional experience. Your brain interprets the signals from your heart to create how you feel. If you shift the rhythm of your heart, you can reduce feelings of anxiety. The vagus nerve has an important role to play as well. The vagus nerve interfaces with the parasympathetic nervous system and controls the heart. I like to think of the word parachute when I'm reminded of the parasympathetic nervous system. It is called the rest and digest system and conserves energy as it slows down the heart rate. The opposite is the sympathetic nervous system that is turned on when we are in stress. Anne describes how to move out of this fight or flight state and into relaxation. This is the basis of her work. There's more great resources in the show notes. In episode 23, I sit down with farmer Amy Milliron, who is committed to regenerative agriculture. I spent about 10 years of my life with nerve damage. You can have levels of micronutrients in your system that are out of balance. I got on supplements for about six months and I went from a pain level of eight to uh, a one. That whole 10 years was an incredible learning experience. If we do not take really good care of the soil so that it is in balance, then that is affecting our food supply. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. Also, tune into season one for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.